0: Welcome to Saturday morning serial. Hey, hey, it's me, Dan Grimshay. I'm your host, as always. And wouldn't you know we've also got Marky E over here. Marky, E, chime in. Hey, hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Uh also Jim somewhere else out on the web, piping in. Are you there? Reading
1: citizens, this is the sound of my voice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that intro. All right. Uh thanks for joining us, everybody. Because we are trying to put a lot of work into this. Because this episode, we're talking about the premiere of Stargirl. It's one of those Which, times we get to actually watch it before you. And uh, let me just tell you, you should be jealous. But you can join into the worldwide phenomenon uh, Monday, May 19th, I believe. It's, it has, it, that's the 18th, it's actually. Damn. 18? This
2: this actually has... This is such a big show that it's going it, to... It will I'll premiere... It? It's going to premiere on two platforms. It's going to be a flagship show for the DC Universe streaming service, and it's going to premiere on Monday, May 18th. And it's also going to premiere on a national broadcast on The CW on Tuesday, May 19th. So one show... Two premieres. Try to see it one one of these
1: days. Well, uh, it's worth mentioning that the the <laughs> at
0: least the at least give them on one the, chance. The yeah.
1: broadcast on the DC Universe is going to be uh, slightly longer. The one on the CW is cut for time and commercials. So the uh, DC Universe, uh, the lovely Yvette Monreal, uh, explains a little bit of that to me when I get to talk to her. You'll well, are hear talking about one bit. of
0: our guests coming up this show. Yvette, Yvette Monreal. The one and the same. Wait, who else are we talking to today? Because I've been a little
1: out of the loop lately. Well, uh, Marky, you're going to hear our conversation. Marky got to t- and I got to speak with uh, composer for Star Girl, Pinar Toprak. Yeah. yeah, and you guys may know her music from uh, I. Like
2: one of the biggest Marvel movies of all time. She actually was the composer for Captain Marvel.
0: And uh, Daniel. That's right. They made like 25 of those. And then they finally got to one called Captain Marvel and said, who's <laughs> going to make this music? Let's call our, Let's get Pinar on the phone.
1: Well, you're going to hear she has <laughs> Just a Just really like good start we bottom. did. Well, oh, I
0: that. should say you guys did. The only person I got to talk to was Joy Osmansky. Ooh! Yeah, and she's going to make her debut as Tigress
2: on the on DC Star Girl. So we look forward to her. You guys may know her from the show Duncanville, which is celebrating its renewed second season on Fox Animation. So, if That's you guys right. are into Fox Animation, you guys have heard the the wonderful voice of Joe Osmansky. Yes. Uh, if if so, you, yeah, you want yeah, to understand
0: the whole legend behind Fox Animation domination. Joy Osmanski is part of that. <laughs> yeah. You owe it to yourself to hear this oral history. Uh, but beyond that, not only are we talking to them, you guys are also going to explain to the audience, and more specifically me, more about this CWDC, uh, JLAJS. There's a lot of initials flying around here I'm not familiar with. I know you guys are more into the Arrowverse than I am. So nice. Nice nice pull. Well, that's only because we did a couple episodes about the Arrowverse a few seasons (laughs) ago. Lucky listeners will know when I promised to watch more, apparently I lied. So I'm still very out of the loop. Please catch us up. What is earth to JLA CW and where is the WB? I don't think
1: we have an answer for where the WB is. That's that's well, a lot of questions, but I'm <laughs> I'm a little more prepared to talk about uh, the Justice Society and uh, the Star Girl character history just a little bit, just to kind of give a a brief overview. If if that's something you want to hear about
0: that that okay. actually almost I mean, sounds pertinent. Oh, who okay. the hell is Star Girl? What is CW? And yes, take it from there. I'm babe well, in the woods, well, Jimmy. Be gentle.
1: Okay, so I'll do the best I can. There's a lot of his, convoluted DC comics books history here, but uh, the big Give picture it to is me in two minutes. Uh, okay, so we're talking about the Justice Society is going to be one of the main uh, character teams, the uh, superhero teams of this new show, Star
0: Girl. Oh, Justice and, Society. Yes, okay. I've heard of them. The Justice League of America. Wait, Justice Society. The yes, Justice Society sure. of America. All right. Justice uh, Society
1: predates
0: the Justice League. oh uh, Nancy, and, uh, I've already need an explanation.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So back in the 1940s, um, before Justice League came out, they there was a ton of superheroes out. So they put all together. They put them all together in uh, one comic book. And that first group was called uh, You're the Justice about League. The Society. police
0: commissioner decided to do that, or um, I don't. I'm. I'll be or honest. You mean I don't know. it was like a, a comic book company? Said we've got too many comic book characters. Let's put them all together. Save us right. some time. Right.
1: So they. All right. Had, uh, now I follow. So in uh, All Star Comics number three, they first appeared, and they had. Uh, I don't know if you, any of you guys know any of these uh, superheroes. They had a bit of a, a a fair run comic book run by themselves, but these guys: Doctor Fate. You might have heard of him. Hourman, Spectre, Sandman, Flash. You've heard of Green Lantern, Hawkman. Uh, did I mention the Adam Sandman? Yeah. Yeah. So those, that was the first team. And so this is back in the 1940s and we got to get a little bit, this is where it gets a little murky. So we're talking about the golden age of comics, right? This is the first time that comics were out. Uh, and the problem with comic books is their heroes get older. So every couple years they try to rejuvenate and reinvent their comics. Um, the first attempt at this was called the Silver Age when they brought the concept of Earth 2. Not, when I say they, I'm talking about uh, DC Comics and their particular uh, franchises and licenses. So um, in an effort to update They were hitting the planet, like a
0: reset button?
1: Is that what you're yeah, describing? Right, yeah. Right. So they went from the Golden Age to the Silver Age. And the first example was when... Uh Barry Allen was now the Flash, whereas before he was Jay Garrick, and there's a, kind of you know, maybe you're familiar with that iconic cover where they're two running the two different flashes are running right towards the the cover with the brick
0: wall in between them. Oh, with Jesse Owens when mm-hmm. he meets the Nazis? Yeah. Of That's course, of no, why would I be familiar with this, Jimmy? <laughs> um you do you know, no, this I'm is sorry, I shouldn't be Okay, let's pretend I am. <laughs> two flashes on the cover of a comic book. So, and that's, and
1: eventually that's where we come up with the concept. So the new flash did so well, they wanted to update all the other older superheroes, Batman, Superman, everybody needed an update. So they come up with the concept of earth one and earth two. So earth two, earth one is the one that we're watching the newer stories on. The current superhero stories, Earth-2,
0: houses all the older superheroes. Ooh, they didn't even give them the respect of making that Earth-1. Correct.
3: Well,
2: it's all it's all relative from where the stories are being told. So all of these stories are coming from the perspective of Earth-1. So they refer to the other Earth as Earth-2. Yeah, I
1: bet every, maybe everybody... So
3: we
2: all, we all live on Earth-1.
1: Hypothetically, and, uh, everybody on Earth Two refers to that as Earth One or correct. Earth Prime or so Earth A or whatever. It's
2: not so much of a of a reset as much as it's it kind of allows all of these universes to coexist at the same time, so that nothing is really out of date. It all exists at 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 once.
0: Now that brings to my mind the uh, the it's the, the recurring infin- joke in Rick and Morty where he keeps saying we can only clear out the universe and move to a new reality so many times. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what they
2: do at DC. That's quite often. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> they their, were the very that's
0: first that's ones <laughs> to not only believe in, but also create a multiverse. Yes. They, that's, this is kind of where that concept started it. And
2: it's really because they had all these characters and they wanted ways to kind of
0: like freshen them up. Well, this is a stupid question, but I can't, now i can't get it out of my head when i wake up me in the real world does dc consider that earth one or earth two or some other earth now we are earth one still yes always that's where are
2: you, yes. are you sure we're not earth prime no oh well okay so now we're maybe prime now
0: <laughs> well all right so so there's yeah. i can't even that's get good. agreement out of two guys i know on this well you know (laughs) this is not helping my existential crisis these days
3: guys
0: (laughs) that's an infinite crisis
3: that's
0: a different story once we get into the simulation theory let (laughs) me tell you but i (laughs) watched devs i didn't watch the vampire diaries once again what were you saying about cw
1: Oh, again! I don't have too much information about the CW, except for that it's number five on my uh, TV. <laughs> <laughs> number five on the dial.
0: What a what a what a
1: plug. But number one in your hearts. <laughs> <laughs> so then we got to skip ahead a little bit to the crisis of Infinite Earths. You are right. familiar with that, so um, of course eventually, I am not. Eventually, so after the Silver Age starts, we start telling all these stories, and 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 as we just discussed, the multiverse kind of explodes for DC. And as Mark pointed out, there's too many characters. There's way too many characters. Uh, there's way too many Earths. So in the, the really short stroke of the crisis on Infinite Earth is it's a clearinghouse. They combine uh, all the universes into one Earth and into one Earth. And that's that's the history going forward. Some things are lost. Some people are forgotten. And the Justice Society was kind of forgotten. Like it's
0: kind of like the singularity. Or
1: something. Yeah, sure, sure. Give it a name. And this <laughs> uh, and this one on Earth Prime, we call that the crisis. The first crisis on infinite Earths.
0: Oh, They've the had, first crisis?
1: I'd say maybe five to seven years. I was years, almost they ready to, to
0: digest this till you said the first crisis. Well, the first, you always remember your first. Well, in, biggest... in reality, or Earth One or Earth Prime years, at what point did the crisis of infinite Earths, oh God, infinite Earths, what? what year did that storyline come out? That's a uh, mid eighties. 80. All right. So, so we're up to 30 years ago. <laughs> Hold on. Let me take another drink.
1: <gasps> so now we're getting, <laughs> so now justice society is kind of a memory to everybody, but right about, <clears throat> and they're not, and nobody's writing about it. They're not a big seller. The book isn't a big seller. The character isn't a big seller, but in uh, the At this late point, I'm
0: watching uh, the a lot of Superman or Spider Man and his friends, Stan Lee stuff on Saturday morning cartoons.
2: You're also watching Super right. Friends.
0: Uh, that is true.
2: There were Super yeah. Friends. Yeah. So, and let's not bring Marvel into this. So forget right. Spider Man yeah, yeah, But I'm just, just, yeah, just, trying, just to trying to think trying like,
0: like to all right. So, this was going on in comic books while I was watching cartoons.
2: Yes, but cartoons mimic what the comic books are probably a couple years after. But, you know, there are several leagues or groups of superheroes in the DC world. There's the JSL, which is the Justice Society of America. There's. Well, then they spelled America wrong. Or
1: JSA.
0: What did I say? G? JSL, which I feel is like a Jewish survivor league. Oh no, like those are, that's the no headphones. I, guess. I thought I said JSA. JSA.
2: I'm sorry. All right. All right. So um, anyway, and then there's the Justice League, right? And now that's we've got the an more And the Justice League are very similar to the Super Friends. It's the same era. So you got Batman and Superman, and uh, uh, you know Robin and
0: Firestarter and Flash and those. Was guys. one of them like a super group, like Temple of the Dog? Before Pearl Jam um, say, and Soundgarden got big, or something.
2: Well, I would say that the Justice League is the super group, really, of the group because you also get some of the heroes from the JSA are in the Justice League, like Hawkman, for example. But you also there's another you group forget called. Hawkman. Yeah, there's the Legion of Superheroes, which is more of a group that's in the future.
0: Oh, man, throw the L anywhere.
2: And Superman is in
1: that group as well. So you have... Uh, I beg your pardon, it's a Superboy is in the Legion. He was the inspiration for them getting together.
0: Yeah, but then... Not Superman.
1: Superman. He's in it, too. But anyway.
2: (laughs) I
0: I could hear Jimmy pushing his glasses up from the middle.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So you have... So if you were to kind of simplify this, the JSA is in relatively speaking the past the justice league is the present and the legion league, of superheroes legion. is in the future all right now and because of the infinite earths that are in different timelines that all get kind of mixed up infinite all these groups Earth still meet that together. is
0: way to wish for a million wishes dc lazy <laughs>
2: Yeah, now, but it can be handled very well, and it can be presented in a very unique fashion, and that's, and I think Jimmy was about to take us there, in the 90s, Jeff Johns came about. Jimmy, take it away. Oh, you guys
0: warned me, Jeff Johns is like a big player here. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jeff Johns, he's the producer, showrunner for the show, Stargirl, but he he's the one that, uh, him and uh, writer David, uh, he co-wrote with David Goyer uh, of bringing the Justice Society back to uh, prominence. Or I don't, I shouldn't say fame, but I'm trying to bring them. Uh, they took that um, struggling title and brought it back to a little bit of prominence. That's so a, uh,
0: uh, and, Goyer and was there. involved in like the Tim Burton Batman movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like he goes, back – he's part of the Renaissance of the DC characters. Mm-hmm. This is the only part that I recognize.
3: Well, he—that's
0: you know, why I'm uh, chirping in here. So yeah, that's like a source. Yeah, he was
2: like a, a illustrator and writer for the comics in the '90s. That's when he really broke out, and I—I I believe he's the—he was the head of all of all of DC. Uh, in addition to. Producing the shows, but th- you know he started in comics.
0: Okay, and, yeah, I was going to say you hit on a name I know, and I knew yeah. that he's a big, he's a big player in that. Yeah,
2: and in and in the '90s, he started to kind of dabble around and play in those older characters that had been lost over time, had been retired, or had been left behind, and one of them. Is stargirl Jimmy tell us about that
1: <laughs> uh,
0: do sure it quick, uh, I will distract you again yeah, so,
1: so yeah, so when he took over the title, he took one of the titles he took over was Justice society, and he reinvented Stargirl, which just you know uh, a lot of times when d c re-ups the characters or reinvents them it's a it's a gender swap, so this was a pretty easy thing to do. Uh, so she's the young um, stepdaughter, I think, or daughter of the original Starman. But in the comic books, her history is a little slightly different. How she gets her cosmic staff, so we won't get too into that because that that's a slightly off topic. But it's it is that's worthy not good to prep
0: for the show that's coming up. You mean?
1: Yeah, it is worthy to note that Jeff Johns uh, made her, designed her or based her on his sister that died in oh. a plane crash. Whoa. So that's why she's named after her, uh Courtney. And that's why I guess he put so much um, I would say, love and attention into that one character and oh, helped it wow. blossom. Helped it blossom. So she's a pretty big deal. And so she has Starman's old sidekick. Stripe C is her sidekick now. And then that kind of brings us to that was in nineteen ninety-eight, I think late nineties that happened. So that's 20 years ago. That she's been, uh, Courtney has been Stargirl and a pretty big, not a, at least a big player in the Justice Society in DC Comics, right? Yeah. So that that brings has us she to
0: before now, jumped out of the comics. Like, is there as anyone else played her on screen? Uh, this is her. This, uh, this is the third time uh, she was
2: in. Um, she was in a Smallville arc, uh, season nine. She was in their big um, crossover event. So Smallville, which was the only comic book TV show at the time. This was, you know, back in the early 2000s. And uh, they, they had like, 12 seasons. Ten. Yeah, it was Jeez. it's a huge accomplishment. And in their season nine, they actually did a a TV movie. So this is towards the end of their run. And they did this big TV movie and um, they ended up doing a story that covered the justice society. And yeah. What season main, was
0: that?
1: Season nine of Smallville. So they did a two hour season nine before it was very, were... it was very watch many that, that, that those two episodes.
2: Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of dealing with the same thing that the comics were kind of working with was that the uh, Justice Society was old, they were weak, and they were starting to get kind of picked off. (laughs) Okay, I'm kind of glad
0: you brought this up because this is something that is a little more accessible for me and I think a lot of other people who don't know this well. But if you're talking about superhero team-ups, which is what Justice Society, as you said, was like back in the 40s, getting a lot of shades of Watchmen was Watchmen. Like I know the whole story, they were, they were old un basically forgotten comic rights or licenses that Alan Moore got. But how much influence Bruh, yeah, from the, the old the justice society, like a superheroes in the forties, which is obviously how Watchmen started like how how much did Alan Moore take from Justice society versus the others I guess I would, think he took him all from I think he
2: took all of it from those comics that came from from before well, he the, just the, kind of matured the, it up,
0: but yeah, yeah, well, of uh, course, yeah, he gave it the uh, treatment but. He, Jimmy, Jimmy, what do you, you got to tell me something about this. Oh,
1: I was going to... Well, uh, slightly off-topic is that uh, Alan Moore... Ba- like, those are all uh, Charlton heroes. They're based on the Blue Beetle and The Answer
0: and... Uh, uh, yeah, they, so expected, yeah he think. did actually so, have, like, old actual licenses right, he was right, working with. Right.
2: Him. But back to your original so. question is... <laughs> yeah. um, in, the, in the Smallville Season 9... Um, TV movie. I think it was called Absolute Justice or something like that.
0: And they this is a story that
3: kind I'm looking of for blended. Hawk.
0: Anybody seen Nighthawk? <laughs> that's a Steven Seagal throwback.
2: That's Out uh, for Justice. Oh, um, that's and it. so and, and yeah, uh this is uh this is the Smallville version of getting these two super teams together because Uh, All of Clark Kent's buddies were forming the Justice League, although they weren't quite formed at the time of that show. And then they ended up meeting the Justice Society and the Justice Society inspired Clark and his friends to form the Justice League. But the main character... Of that kind of plot B of that story was Star Girl, and she was played by an actress. Um, it was Brit something, but I don't I don't remember. Um, Smallville. I'm sorry, uh, Star Girl would also be pro, uh, she would be played by another actress in That's the. That's Brit Irving. Britt Irving, there you go. And uh, Star Girl, she would actually end up being played again. In the Arrowverse, in Constantine, and in um, the Heroes of Tomorrow. What's the name of that show, Jimmy? Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow. So, and in both. Which we both did a whole the... special about.
0: The only right. other time I got my toe in there.
2: And in both the Smallville version of Stargirl and in the Legends of Tomorrow version of Stargirl, um, you saw an older star girl who had already become that hero. She was already probably like in her 20s, you know, or very late teens. So a what grown this, star woman. Yeah. I mean, she's still called star, star girl just like Supergirl still called. <laughs> but uh, but this is the first time. And old, and what, what the CW is doing now, this is the very first time that we are going to have a teen-centered superhero show in the Arrowverse. And that's going to lead to a lot of different types of storytelling. And you have to deal with adolescence and growing up and having your first boyfriend and all that other stuff, you know, like that's, it's not
0: just, uh, all right. So they're launching this new show. Now I'm with you. Uh, as a matter of fact, I happen to know that you guys got to talk to one Yvette Monreal who happens to be, uh, not only from this new show we're talking about, she just came off a semi-successful run from uh, Rambo: Last Blood, a Sylvester Stallone movie. What? Was still a Sylvester Stallone joint. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> you might not know. I don't know if you have that uh, Robert Rodriguez Rodriguez's El Rey Network. She's been on a couple shows on that. She's been on two uh, seasons of Matador with Alfred Molina. She's going to talk about that for. A Hot Second, and the show called Awkward, which I've personally never seen. Um, Ooh, and that she must have made also... that feel weird when you were talking to her. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> What's she, the word?
1: <laughs> she was also in uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover with uh, Supergirl and Batwoman and the Arrow guy, whatever his name Did, is. Was
0: she also playing Yolanda Montez, a.k.a. Yeah. Wildcat, there? Indeed. Well, awesome. You know what? I don't see why we're listening to us when we could. Hey, magic interview machine. Give me a little bit of Yvette Monreal.
1: Meanwhile. Um, so we want to talk about uh, Stargirl, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, that's going to be on the CW on the 19th. Um, but I want to know you play Yolanda Montez.
4: Montez. Yes. Wildcat.
1: I watched the first episode. Love the first episode. Really great. But um, you kind of spoiler. We're going to talk about some spoilers if that's okay. Um, But you barely have a cameo in the first episode, right?
4: Right, right. Uh, My character is slowly but surely being established. Uh, You don't really see me come to fruition until the fourth episode.
1: Fourth episode, okay.
4: Yeah.
1: So um, I'm looking on your Instagram page, and there's a cop, uh, artist rendition of your costume. So is that going to be around the fourth episode when we get to see that? Is that when you start, or is it going to be more of a season finale type of thing?
4: No, no, no. It's fourth episode, and it's great too. The way they, the way everything happens when I put on the cowl and everything, it's it's majestic. Mm-hmm. To the so,
1: least. Uh, The uh, original Wildcat from the JSA is uh, Ted Grant. Is your godfather in the show? Is that right? Okay. Uh, So.
4: He's not my godfather in the show. Okay. He is the godfather in the comic book. But in the show, he's a very famous and prestigious boxer. And my family, we we all watch boxing. So he's a big inspiration for me. Um. But no, no, he's not my godfather. He's he's. It changed a little bit from the comic, and I also wasn't an experiment from Doctor Love. Um, My in the comic, yeah, in the comic, Doctor Love does an experiment on my mom, which makes me be born with cat-like superpowers, and Mm -hmm. and that's changed as well in the in the series. In the series, Courtney finds a group to join her in the justice society. And I'm one of those people because I am a natural boxer and that's one of my, um, strengths. So she sees me as a great asset.
1: And, um, is that it? You're just boxing And, uh, I assume you're, uh, one of the skilled boxers if you're inspired, if not trained by Ted, um, do you have any powers that you can talk about or they can share with us?
4: Yeah, so I have uh, cat-like abilities. I can jump um, on. I can jump really high. My claws—they they can break through pretty much anything. I can I can crawl up buildings. I, I have everything that a superhero cat would have, basically.
1: Uh, uh, and uh, so your claws retract like Wolverine, or are they just kind of stick out a little ways?
4: Kind like- of like Wolverine. But instead of um, my knuckles, it's from my fingers. So they oh, go like this. And then when I do this, they all come out.
3: <laughs> I dig it.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. And you know, seem to know a little bit about the original source material, about the original Wildcat. How big of a fan were you before you got cast in this role?
4: I had to do my research, honestly. My brother, I keep saying this, but my brother was a DC uh, comic fan. And growing up, I saw that he would collect all the comic books, but I wasn't really familiar unless it was really mainstream. So when I got the audition, I had to, they didn't tell us, they didn't tell me what I was auditioning for. I kind of figured it out with the dummy sides. Um, And when I had that Skype call with Jeff, he he was like, yeah, you're wildcat, good guess. And I'm like, yeah. So (laughs) I had to do my research. I had to do a lot of digging.
1: And how much um has that stuck with you at all? have you has that turned you into a bigger fan or uh...
4: yeah, oh my gosh i bought I bought um all these comics well of obvi- I bought these comics of like where my character is in, but yeah I love I love it all the comic series i need I think I need a dive a little deeper with everything um with other characters but of course I'm like a huge fan of my character now because she's just like awesome and I'm just so thankful that Jeff is um Jeff Johns is bringing her to a greater light and I don't think I think she was only on TV once right? The character Yolanda Montez
3: mm-hmm.
4: once a long time ago but I'm back
1: woo! Uh yeah, just as kind of a uh, Easter egg I got. is that a is that a big uh, wildcat poster behind you? Um, yeah, very nice. My
4: dad actually my dad um, my dad gave this to me for Christmas. There I am in the corner. Do you see that and then uh-huh that's me with Brett, our man and me.
1: Wow, that's amazing. That's really cool. I think you're
4: the only person who asked that. Oh, wait, actually, you're the only Skype call I had. So,
1: yeah. Oh. Happy to be the first at something. <laughs> um, yeah,
4: everything's just been phone interviews.
1: So, you're used to going to red carpet events and premieres and that type of things for all your like, for you were recently in the Rocky Last Blood movie. So, yeah. I imagine amount of um, interviews and press, like, live in person. I'm, I'm wondering how. Um, like since the quarantine, we're all, we just mentioned doing everything from Skype. How was that for you? Is that any different for you? Is it a different approach to how you, uh, is it a different approach to the interviews or at
4: all? Yeah, it's a little more relaxed, I would say, because I'm just like in the comfort of my own home. I'm sitting on my bed, just able to call and answer the calls. But yeah, I feel like I was a little more nervous when it was in person because they have all these blinding lights on the carpet. And sometimes I just freeze up, even if it's a simple question I'll mm-hmm. like freeze up and think it's the hardest thing in the world. And then afterward I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I freeze up? But it's all with time. I mean, since I did the press with the Rambo movie, I, I'm a lot more relaxed now and it's easier to do these things. It's just with like, the more you do it, the easier it gets kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so can I ask you, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about that Rambo movie if we could. Sure. I, um, I was watching that last night and um, you're great in it, uh, but okay. do you have any stories about working with Hollywood legend Sylvester Stallone on or off the set?
4: Yeah, um, he was he was great. It was really awesome to see him on set and just have so much um, passion still. Like he really, really cares about how the movie turns out, about how it looks and everything. You just hear these conversations um, with him and how he expresses his love for the art and everything. And yeah, I mean, he gave me a lot of tips and, and he, it was just, it was art, especially our scenes. They were, we were just like really present in the moment. I think, I feel like that's what I learned um, from being on set. It was not learned, but it was kind of like a reminder of like just being present and going off of like, how he's acting and it was a little stressful too. It was a little, it was a little intimidating at first, but sure. they want you to succeed. You know, they want you to do the best you can. So, oh, whoops, sorry. I was getting another call.
1: Ah, uh, that's, that, um, I,
4: they want you to do the best you can. Sorry.
1: I, I was, I sorry to interrupt. Did you, did you film everything? Uh, was that filmed in uh, Mexico or is that, that didn't seem like it was uh, shot locally? You know. So it
4: looked like it was filmed New Mexico, right? That was the, that was the, um, that's what we were striving for, but no, it was shot in Bulgaria and that's in Spain. And then we shot the last month and a half in the Canary Islands. So that was really nice. Um, Bulgaria, I didn't really get to explore much, but the Canary Islands, I had my brother and my, my best friend come out and visit me. And I had a little extra time there, uh, to explore so it was a really beautiful island I didn't even know it existed so that was just like the time of my life it was the best it was actually the first film where I didn't shoot in LA which was awesome
1: um is that also one of the selling points of aside from maybe working with Sylvester Stallone is the location
4: yeah when I found out that it was going to be shot in Spain I was like wow what a dream that would be that would be the day, but then it happened. And I was like, Oh my God, I need to get my passport ready. Ah, like panic mode. But it was so, it was so fun. Honestly, I would do it again in a heartbeat.
1: <laughs> sure. Um, what, a you're, you you've, um, pretty well known. You got a bit of a career over on uh, Robert Rodriguez channel, El Rey. Um, yeah. you gotta, well, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, sure. you gotta, go ahead.
4: That was that was a great experience. That was the first show that I... Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. That was the first show that I had ever booked. So, um, my dad was played by Alfred Molina. And it was, like, the first show where I was actually... Where it actually felt like, oh, my gosh. I'm an actress now. This is crazy. Um, but it was, it was... Everything was shot like a movie. Everything was... Was... Oh, man, it was so long ago, too. I think I I shot that back in 2014 or 13. Um, but, yeah, we, we did a first season. We were supposed to do two seasons, and then we got canceled. Uh, but it was the time that I had spent there. I made lifelong friends, and it was a great experience. Is there anything you want to know in particular?
1: Uh, well, I was mostly going to ask you if you have anything else coming up uh, that we can look forward to on that channel.
4: Oh. Okay. Oh, well, right now I am tied to the show, but so I have very few uh, projects that I can explore, but I am exploring some projects right now. Um, but until that, until it's actually secured, uh, I'm just being quarantined. I'm just hanging out. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, how many, can you tease, how many seasons are you tied to the show for?
4: Well, my contract, am I allowed to say that?
1: Uh, well I, i'm I don't know <laughs> uh, well, I was just trying to that, is, I was just trying to get a sense of how many seasons that we can expect if it, if it goes well
4: so my contract is for i believe seven years, but that's only if it's doing well on the network and it doesn't get cancelled because it has a lot to do with the numbers and the audience views and everything like that mm-hmm. yeah.
1: so. and do you know that um Is CW, will that be your permanent home, or will it be on the the DC Universe?
4: It'll be on both. So our show will be on the DC Universe. It'll air a day before the CW airs it. So, And also, on the DC Universe, they're going to air a longer version because we shot these episodes, like, I think it's 40 minutes. I think it's like an hour long on the DC universe and then it's 40 minutes on CW. I could be wrong. Don't quote me, but I know it's, it's a little bit longer on the DC universe. So it's worth Mm -hmm. checking out.
1: Very nice. Uh, So uh, for me, I, like I said, I've seen it. I really love the way they introduced Stripesy. I'm sure you're going to get an equally um, impressive introduction in the show as well. I can't wait to see that. Um, I do have uh, one final question for you before I let you go. Thanks again um, for uh, all your time. I really appreciate it. But my um, love for superheroes uh, kind of surrounds me, getting up early on a Saturday morning before my parent, uh, grabbing a big bowl of cereal and getting my spot on the couch and watching cartoons early in the morning.
4: That's so, the best. Uh,
1: Yeah. So, Yvette, if you could tell me, what is your favorite Saturday morning cereal?
4: My favorite Saturday morning cereal is Chocolate Rice Krispies with almond milk. It's oh, the best.
1: Yeah, that sounds the really good. Yeah, uh, that's the secret to uh, looking so young and, and looking so uh, vital on screen, right? <laughs>
4: exactly. Thank you.
1: <laughs> I love it. Oh, thank you. Um, so I've got uh, Stargirl coming out the, May, the 19th of May, uh, and I'll be on, the, on CW, it'll be on the 20th on DC uh, Universe, and that'll be every week. It's going to be, it's uh, shown on CW the night before, and then it'll premiere on the DC Universe, a longer cut.
4: Yeah, so uh, DC Universe is May 18th, and then CW is the 19th.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I had that messed up. So the 18th and the 19th for the premiere. Uh, is there anything else I can plug for you? Anything else um, I can mention?
4: Mm, I would just say that this uh, this show is for everyone. I mean, it's very family-oriented. I feel like it... it transcribes to kids and adults. So I feel like it's and it's and it's a very special, special series to all of us. You know, there's a lot of heart behind it. And we all we all worked so hard to do our best. So I hope everyone really likes it.
1: Well, uh, I know I did. I love the premiere. and I'm sure everybody will. Um, Thanks for your time. I'll let you go get back to being quarantined and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
4: Okay, thank you so much for your time. Bye. Bye-bye. Take
1: care. The best thing about Captain Crunch Cereal is the taste. The crunch. The
4: taste. The crunch.
2: Right,
1: (laughs) Captain? I say it's the delicious golden sweet
3: taste. No, Master, surely it's the crispy crunch. This is the Captain Captain? People really dig that crunchy
2: feet. No!
0: It's the taste that
2: knocks him off to feet. Where'd he go? We've got to find the captain. But first, some of his cereal. Great taste. Great crunch. Captain Crunch is part of this balanced breakfast. where did he go?
0: Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. There's, uh, I hate, uh, every time we play one of these good commercials, I get sucked in. But here, I'm admitting it. But we're going to have to take a few seconds to unpack that.
2: What exactly would you like to talk about?
0: <laughs> it sounded like uh Captain Crunch was kind of a villain. This is a very breakneck pace. I wish I could have seen the 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 video of it. But uh it it first of all, it sounded like it was a breakneck pace. And then it also sounded like Boo Berry somehow got in the mix there. No, it's just a couple of like you know, no licensed superheroes eating cereal. <laughs> You're, oh, really? you put it, so it wasn't yeah. like the captain himself with that high-pitched?
2: Well, yeah, he like shows up later, but at the beginning of this commercial, it's just like a power man and a woman superhero. <coughs> power man and the other one. Yeah, that's basically what it was. <laughs> and you guys heard the hijinks that can ensue. But yes, that
0: was. It was rapid fire uh, from there.
2: That was Yvette Monreal, who uh, graciously gave us a little bit of her time straight off of Rambo Last Blood. That is no small credit at all. And um, I actually saw that movie. That's right. And
0: actually, if you leave it up to Jimmy and if he can access Wikipedia, he'll put Rocky Last Blood on there, too.
1: (laughs) I heard that. Well,
2: sorry,
0: Jimmy. I I had to bring it up. It was awesome.
1: No, to be fair. I mean, to be fair to me, I don't think she um, caught it. It was a a live Skype call, and we were video (laughs) chatting, so I was kind of (laughs) hypnotized. And uh, you could hear um, – we'll put some pictures up on it, I think, Mark, on the link to the pictures. Uh, She showed me that Wildcat poster that we referenced in the conversation, and she also um, showed me a picture of her on set with Stargirl in her Wildcat costume
0: and the Hourman. And for the record – and let this be known to all, this was the first actual video Skype interview that we've ever done on this show. Yeah, I think so. So uh kudos to you, uh bleeding cool, retro cool nerd, Jimmy whatever gent. <laughs> Breaking awesome <bomb> buddy. <laughs> coming yeah, from was, my corner uh... office. That was awesome.
2: Thanks, buddy. He, yeah, I th- thought that was a really good job. I think she's uh, she is a up and coming star. She's al- she already has some of the biggest credits right now, and I just think she's got the talent. She's got the look. She's got the enthusiasm. She's going to be a huge star. And um, we we've all seen the actual pilot episode. And if I'm not
0: mistaken, uh, she all of us here at- in the show, you at home. If yes. you're listening to this Saturday, you haven't had the chance. It's coming up, though, Monday. May 18th, uh, which is just in a few days from when we recorded this.
2: And um, I do think that she does show up in the pilot. Uh, you guys are going to meet her in the cafeteria. So, um, spoiler alert. But, uh, yeah, I just, I'm looking yeah, the, forward to the her. The pilot, her. Is,
0: as, as everyone knows, any pilot of any TV show has a lot on its shoulders.
3: You have to introduce
0: with a normal show. You have to introduce like four or five characters with what is already a legacy encumbered superhero team up show that also intersects a bunch of stuff that's already been established in the current Arrowverse and whatever in the forties, there's a lot of pressure on this show and they have a huge cast. Yeah, and a lot they, of them you only see for a few seconds, but you will see a lot more of them later.
2: Yeah, and another one that we got a just a brief glimpse of was Joy Osmansky, which is our next yep. guest. Just just uh, one of
0: dozens more we got a glimpse at, but uh, she's my favorite. <laughs> well, didn't you get to talk to her? I did. Not over Skype. I just let her use her phone, which uh I feel like such a such a troglodyte now. But, yes, I I did get to talk to Joy Osmanetsky, who plays Tigress. But beyond that, and you don't even know who I'm talking about, the uninitiated like myself. uh, But you might know her from uh, a little Fox show, Duncanville, which has been renewed. And since it's animated, we might actually see it within the next year. Uh, She's a, oh, and also Santa Clarita Diet. Netflix, I'm just throwing that out there. She's in it. It's a great show, and it's available for streaming right now. Uh, so we we got to talk to her, and let me tell you everything we said. <laughs> or, no, you <laughs> know I what? Uh, Actually, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. come to think of it, <laughs> I did have the foresight to at least record this call. Uh, magic interview machine, give me a little bit of that joy, Osmansky. I, what, what, what do you want to talk about first because there's two big shows going on right now in your profession yeah. when it picks up again of course everyone this is 2020 but uh right. uh now stargirl has not yet come out but I have a feeling it's going to be a hit the CW has such a built-in base for these these DC properties and uh mm. and I saw the uh the premiere already it is they are obviously they've got a budget now for it so I'm oh, excited. Lord. I think yeah. this is going to be yeah. a big one.
5: Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where it's not from a place of cynicism um, uh, that I that I don't get as I could believe me. I'm very excited. But I've also because I've been doing this for so long, I think it's sort of a tempered an attempt at a tempered excitement <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I Yes, in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And there's going to be so many people that love it. And it does already have this existing, very knowledgeable fan base. So that's an amazing thing to be part of. But then I also just want to be, you know, super chill. Like, yeah, it's a TV show. It's going to be new. I don't know what to expect. Who knows? <laughs> just so another you know, thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just another thing. You know, let's try to forget that it was maybe the most ex- amazing experience of my life. We'll just, to, we'll just try to push that one away a little bit because uh, if I'll, you know, let all the fetters go, it was, it was, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It was incredible.
3: Well, what,
0: what, why do you say that? Is it, I mean, I know it's a very physical show. It's got a big cast. Mm. I mean, what is it that's, that's making this such an experience for you?
5: Well, yeah, for me, it's so out of my wheelhouse. You know, this is not, none of this is what I do. Um, when I auditioned for it, I, I didn't know anything about it. I was deep in uh, tech rehearsals for a play. My mind was completely somewhere else. So I, I didn't need to do any research about it. I was just like, I have some show, it's a star, star something. And I, the material's really good. So I'm going to put it on tape, but I, I was not able to give it literally any more thought than that. And, um, Last, <laughs> Sorry, are you going to go
0: into all auditions from now on like that? Just don't <laughs> give a You know what? Damn. Maybe
5: I should. You mm. know, there is something to be said for that. And a lot of actors that I've spoken to, that's kind of like the grail. That's what we're all aiming for. It's impossible. You really can't do it. I mean, <laughs> if you're trying to do it, you can't do it. If you do it by accident, <laughs> then it's the best possible way to audition. But it it is it's nearly impossible to do on purpose. But um, it, it worked. <laughs> it seems to work. and there's a lot of lessons wrapped up in that. I know, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that it was a dual character. They hadn't told me uh, when I found out it was also this character named Tigris, I I was talking to my agent. I was like, a what now?
3: <laughs> like, a who?
5: <laughs> like it was all news to me. And then you know, piece by piece. I've, I've been saying, and I really think this is true. It wasn't until I went in for that first super suit fitting with Laura Jean Shannon oh, and I saw the super rendering. suit
0: fitting. That sounds so yes. awesome.
5: Oh my God, Dan, it was incredible. Again, I, you know, you have tons of wardrobe fittings as an actor. I have never, I have never been fitted eight times for a suit that is literally almost glued to me. I mean, it is <laughs> you know, when you when you wear wardrobe, it goes back into the massive collection of shirts and pants and dresses and you think, well, someone else might wear that again someday. No one else is wearing this suit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Eight fittings, this puppy's yours.
5: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So that was really cool. And, and you really start to take on a different sense of ownership of both the wardrobe and, by extension, the character. And I'm someone, a lot of actors are this way I know. You can put on a piece of wardrobe and suddenly just completely click into who the character is. Sometimes it isn't until you do that that you say, oh, you have this aha moment. And um, getting to see the super suit evolve over a course of months was incredible, and then it was very motivating to me to evolve my own body as I <laughs> start. Because <laughs> I had this suit, and I really wanted to live up to it. You know, it's like... It was um, inspiring, to say the least, uh, when well, I first saw like, the
0: rendering. And, uh, and, and in the premiere, I saw you at least in, like, what would have been the 10 years ago suit. Now, is,
5: oh, okay.
0: Is the, uh, uh, like... Because you're all right. And for all movies and TV shows, it seems like these suits are basically painted on. So if you gain or lose like four ounces, does that mean you need to go for another fitting?
5: (laughs) No, they, I mean, they have to be uh, allowing uh, for movement too. Uh, In this case, a lot of really extreme movement. And so, you know, the, the wardrobe is designed with that in mind. So there is flexibility but in terms of it fitting you in a way that's most comfortable, and the way that you can just kind of forget about it and do your job, yeah, there isn't a whole lot of literal wiggle room. There really there really isn't.
3: <laughs> well well I'm fine. still
0: <laughs> I'm fascinated by the super suit and I gotta ask, I probably it's impossible, but did they let you keep it? Like is it in your closet during this whole lockdown? Can you walk around the house um, in your super suit?
5: That, that super suit is worth more than me. I,
3: <laughs>
5: I uh, The amount of the materials, the amount of man hours that went into it, um, no, I'm pretty sure that suit and the doubles of the suit and then the st- my stunt woman also had, of course, her version of the suit. Those are under lock and key. I'm sure they are insured within an inch of their lives. Um, <laughs> I had a yeah, those feeling are they best- wouldn't let you. <laughs> That's precious cargo right there.
0: <laughs> all right well and uh and and so this is coming out and i don't want to i'm not trying to get in your head or anything so i'm just talking to the listener now it's going to be a hit it's going to be big if you watch <laughs> the dc universe on cw and they've got a lot and they've gotten really good at it this one fits right in um which must be like their 12th show or something about it but still they are not running on mean... steam or enthusiasm uh but no on the...
5: you're right and it's a lucky platform to be a part of for
0: sure. Yeah, yeah, whatever whatever it is marble's secret formula is for everything else, CW has at least cracked it for DC. And well I agree. And I feel brave enough to come out and say that publicly. Uh good for you. <laughs> taking chances here on the show that's what we do. Uh, and, and, uh, now the other end of the spectrum, your other show, which just got renewed for a second season. So now you've actually got tangible proof. Whatever you're doing is working. You got Duncanville <laughs> right, right. over on Fox and yeah. the, uh, and looking over doing a little bit of research because we do a very little bit of research here. I notice a lot of your, uh, credits that people like, uh, internationally would know you from, it's a lot of voice work. So you are no stranger to doing voice work, which is what uh, you're doing in Duncanville. So absolutely a different kind of show.
5: Yes, polar opposite. And not only from the type and genre of the show, but the character. I mean, and they were working concurrently. So I would be here in Los Angeles and go to Table Read's. With Amy Poehler and Ty Burrell, Rashida Jones, and just kind of pinch myself and, and then play a five year old child, and then I would fly to Atlanta and play a supervillain with a sixteen year old daughter. So I just <laughs> there was definitely some dissonance. Like I, sometimes I would, I would I would have to take the flight to readjust and reset myself, be like, okay, not not five. Not
0: five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it and um, it really is. Yeah. As a performer, it's using two totally different toolboxes, it seems like, too. I mean to me, I don't really know I mean, much about it.
5: No, you're right. I mean, they all come from the the same general area, right? Like all the same skills are there, but but no, absolutely. When I'm working on Duncanville, it's a it's a focus on a different skill set for sure. I mean, for one thing, it doesn't matter how I'm dressed or what I look like or if I can fit into any super. That doesn't matter, um, and uh, but there's so much more that is asked of you vocally and creatively in that way, and that's a wonderful
3: challenge.
0: Well, I, I hope that as time goes on, you have no choice but to work at double-heading both of them. Uh... <laughs>
3: In that fact, I hilarious. hope
0: with a little bit of luck, in a few years, uh, we'll be talking again about one or both premieres coming up, and I'll be able to get you to do a conversation between Jing and Tigress right here. Oh Unless my god! Unless you're gosh. ready to try that now, do you have the oh skill, my god. joy?
5: Been, I, no, no. Let's set that as a future goal. I love it <laughs> so much, Dan. That's brilliant. <laughs>
0: all right, let's. All right, let's mark that on the calendar. One of these premieres, Good. I'm bringing you back, that. and I'm. I expect to hear that. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. All right, so those are those are two big juggernauts that everyone either knows you from or is about to know you from. Uh, but I know uh, you already mentioned that uh, you know doing a lot of uh, stage work. You're doing plays, theater. What else? What else? You do? you seem like you're far too busy to me.
3: Oh,
5: well, that's a lovely perception <laughs> to be had about oneself. <laughs> um, and you know, it's it's funny because for me, anyway. Uh, although my career has been gratefully very steady, there are so many peaks and valleys. And um, you know, when you're at one top one of those peaks, you just you try to take a second to look around a bit because all the busyness and all the wonder of working will go away very quickly, usually. And then you'll have a spate of sometimes absolute nothingness. So, the ways that you know different actors find to stay creative and sane vary, of course. But I
0: love that I seem busy. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you, you that. certainly that did good. up to about a year ago in the story. So you know, right yeah. now it's yeah. we might as well we might as well address it a little more on during the lockdown. Uh, Hollywood sure. is not, you know, it's not exactly going full steam. Um, no, what?
3: No. I, Things, like I assume yeah.
0: you might be able to get away with doing uh, voiceover. I don't know how. Actually, doing the animation I, for the show would work, but is there anything yeah. going on that you can do now?
5: I mean, the voiceover is really where it's at right now. I think that might be the only platform that could practically work. Um, another form of voiceover work that I do is I, I record a ton of audiobooks, which I love. Mm. And um, so that has always felt like to me kind of like going to the gym in the way that it's, it's flexing some of those muscles, but it's solitary work, and it requires a tremendous amount of discipline. But um, the creative satisfaction of bringing someone else's story to life is something that feels, of course, very familiar to me and is different every single time. And if you have fiction work, then you're creating multiple characters and voicing multiple characters and keeping a narrative alive for hundreds of pages. So that works. Yeah, it kind really, of sounds like you could do
0: Jing and Tigress having a conversation then. <laughs> I, I think you're just trying to, you're know. just making me beg or something.
5: <laughs> I'm, I'm too shy about it right
3: now. I'm too shy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I'll leave off.
0: But yeah, you are. I I've really, listened to a number of audiobooks over the years. I, I haven't heard one that you've done, yeah. but yeah, I've, it's always impressed me. Like oh. the narrator must know going in how big a project that's going to be. You're going to have to keep yeah, and... dozens of voices, potentially. It's... Yeah. So, and plus, yeah, I, I have a, a feeling lot of here in April 2020, audiobooks are just about to explode.
5: <laughs> I think you might be right. It does seem like one uh, area of entertainment that has just gotten a bit bigger. Um, certainly, narrators like me, who are fortunate enough to be able to record from home, We have a recording booth in our home, which has been, you know, wonderful and helpful and allows me to do it from here so I'm not um, endangering anyone else. Um, It's been great. And all that work can happen remotely uh, from anywhere. The editing, of course, and, you know, all the QC and all the stuff can happen remotely. So, yeah, I feel really fortunate to have my toe in in those waters.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good thing then. Uh mm-hmm. if you can get a pandemic proof job, you're in you're in good standing <laughs> these days.
5: Yeah. So so grateful. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I'm guessing, well, of course, live theater is very much on hold now. Um
5: Oh the, my goodness, yeah.
0: I, I imagine there's not even any talk about uh uh when the second season of Stargirl could be a reality. I, why bother talking about that? Now? Yeah. Although, Duncanville just went ahead and announced it very recently. They said, no, screw it. I guarantee a second season.
5: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's because, like you said, I think it's a platform that could actually uh, be produced. I mean, there are ways we can have Zoom table reads, and then there are ways for us to go independently into a recording area and not encounter a single soul. Um. We can, they can keep the rooms clean. They can keep them disinfected. I mean, I think it's doable from an animation standpoint. I know a lot of the animation is done overseas. A lot of the um, initial work that's done here, I'm imagining that could be done within a safe environment. I'll be interested to see, Dan. You know, I mean, like, none of us have this paradigm in our history. We don't, we just don't have any reference point for it. I'm interested to see.
0: Yeah, and I well have have they when they made the announcement? Did you suddenly start getting calls from producers saying, "Hey, make sure you're available," you know, end of June or something? Like, have they started saying when yeah. it's going to happen?
5: Yeah, I was given a sort of like, "What's your next couple or few months look like?" And I was like, "You're looking at it." I don't <laughs> know
0: what it looks like. <laughs> kind of an unnecessary question going for most
5: <laughs>
3: Yeah. <laughs>
5: I was like, well, after the seven cruises I take. I was like, Yeah, there's <laughs> there's there's nothing. <laughs> I am hunkered down and trying to stay safe, uh, as much as I can and keep others safe too. So that's my main focus.
0: All right, good. And that's enough quarantine talk. Uh we've covered it. People stop asking questions. This is how it works. <laughs> uh and let's see. Uh <laughs> Okay, well, now I immediately ran into a problem there because usually what I say at this point in an interview is, "All right, what are you, what are you working on? What else is coming up? What do you want to plug?" Shoot, I guess that doesn't work anymore.
5: Well, I do have one thing actually Ooh. that I would love to, that, yeah, that I would love to plug because I actually shot this right before everything started to take a nosedive. Right. And um, this is a project called Monsterland, and it'll be on Hulu. It's a horror anthology series. Ooh.
4: And,
5: oh, yeah, Dan, I, this was another one of those projects where um, totally unique for me. And I can't, I can't say too much about it, except that I will say that based on what I saw from the other episodes, oh, my Lord, the effects are Incredible. And um, the storytelling is incredible, and it's based on a book written uh, by a U.S. author called North American Lake Monsters, I believe. And it's fabulous. It's just fantastic. The episode that I was in, Kelly Marie Tran is in the episode, and she's amazing. It was a very female-centric production, and I found that to be really wonderful. Um mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, it was great. We shot in uh, upstate New York. It was fabulous. So that became a sort of little, a nice little memory capsule for me since it was right after that that everything went haywire. But um, we managed to get it. We managed to get it.
0: Nice. That's, uh, yeah, it, yeah in under the wire, as they say. Uh, and yet, totally. I, I hadn't heard about that. So I'm glad you turned me on to it because now I've already pulled it up on IMDb. It is in post-production. Fingers crossed, fingers mm-hmm. crossed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, golly, I love. Yeah. Well, first of all, I really like Hulu. It's seeing me through a lot of tough times lately, so I'm yes. always glad to know they're still making content. And I'm I'm a sucker for horror and anthology. So that's it. You, uh, you oh pitched correct.
3: <laughs>
5: well, it's right up your alley. Then I think <laughs> I think you're going to get a kick out of it. It just seems kind of extraordinary what they did. So I'm excited to see it.
3: All
0: right. Well, that's one to put on the calendar, although we don't know when, but somewhere later down the road, Mm. Monsterland. Uh, Mm -hmm. And let's see. And Stargirl is already, I suppose we should probably mention, May 19th, 2020. Uh, Lockdown be damned. Check it out on the CW. Uh, And then Duncanville. Well, you can catch that probably on uh, Fox.com might even be on Hulu. I haven't, I can't remember. It is, it is on Hulu. It is on I Hulu.
5: I couldn't remember yes. when I'd
0: seen it. I know it's i I've seen a few on YouTube. I've seen some live, so it's so on, it's everywhere. You yes. can go find it. Damn it. it is, yeah.
5: You, you can easily find it.
0: All right. And, uh, and before I let you go, I do just want to ask, do you feel like you want to give us some spoilers for anything? I'm more than willing to take them. How, how does Star Girl for first season?
5: Right. Let me just let me just go ahead and fire myself before I do that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Sure, I'll tell you everything. I'll never tell you everything see that after, tiger after we go offline. <laughs> no, they I have a feeling they would find someone else to <laughs> get into it. <laughs> well, there's going to be so much, so much good action. I mean. I, I, you know, I grew up with 80s movies as my model for storytelling, and they they have so many wonderful elements in 80s movies. They're always so much heart and they're funny, and and I, I think Jeff really pulled from a lot of that era of inspiration for Stargirl. And so that's probably one of the reasons why the stories resonate with me so much, because it feels like the content that I grew up on
0: and um i notice like a a real like sort of timelessness in it in that yeah you can't tell what year it is no one's got a cell phone but it it certainly doesn't mm-hmm. appear to be you know 1950 though some of the cars are from the right. 50s some are from so it's it's obviously trying to eschew all that but I mm-hmm. noticed like it's it's strong in the tropes. The new kid comes to school trying to fit in. Yes. Super power, like mm-hmm. these were in dozens of eighties movies. So I, I was warm oh, to yeah. it immediately.
5: Oh, that's great. yes, i'm I'm glad to hear for the same reasons. I mean, for me, anything with a transformation montage, I'm in.
3: <laughs>
5: <laughs> I'm right there for it.
3: All right. Well,
0: thank you so much, Joy. Uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but, uh, it feels unfair if I didn't at least say, "Do you have any questions for me?
5: Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, what do you, what's one of the things that you're doing to stay sane
0: right now? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, it's, uh, I, uh, my day job has always been running a, a restaurant, so I've got a lot of time on my hands. So when people are willing to call and talk to me in my little home booth, it fills me with joy, as you have joy. Thank you so much.
5: Well, I love that we're both in our home booth connecting across the miles today that makes me feel really happy too
0: yep and don't we sound professional <laughs> i hope so <laughs> <laughs> all right joy well thank you again and uh and i i am serious i i'm going to keep your number on file and i'm going to get a hold of you when yes, i feel please. you should be ready for the jing Tigris conversation it's like okay text i'll Avery just back stay
5: busy day, writing but...
0: writing pages
5: of dialogue in the meantime
0: (laughs) i want i want a whole my dinner with andre length script set oh my god when we're ready to go
5: (laughs) yeah no pressure okay good good yeah (laughs) you got it you got it
0: all right joy uh well i again i can't thank you enough and uh everybody one last time we've got duncanville season one you can find it a bunch of places season two will be coming it's been promised uh, and star girl on the CW may 19th. Uh, it starts up then and then continues until they run out of steam. Yeah. <laughs>
5: Hopefully not for a long time. Thank you, Dan. It was so lovely to talk with you.
0: No, thank you again. Joy, Joy, Joy Osmansky, everybody give her a hand. I can hear them. Fixing breakfast smells
3: good. It's my new strawberry shortcake cereal. It's very pink. Strawberry pink. With a crispy strawberry taste. Even smells like strawberries. My very favorite. Most important. I know. It's a very tasty part of this good, nutritious breakfast. You're pretty bright. So are you. New strawberry shortcake cereal. It's very delicious. It's a very.
2: I remember that commercial. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah? Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's got the... Explain liquid. to me
0: why. Did you have the cereal?
2: I don't think I ever did strawberry shortcake Did you cereal. have
0: the strawberry shortcake doll? No judgment. Uh, I,
2: I remember there being... They smelled uh, good. There was a uh, cartoon that I think I watched a few, but I remember this commercial because of the talking sun. So she was talking to the sun while she was having her breakfast.
3: Oh, uh, that's what it
2: was. I do remember that commercial. It's odd. I mean that was that was from the eighties, so I was a kid, a little kid, but um yeah, that was strawberry shortcake. And you guys just heard from the the wonderful Joy Osmansky
0: and yeah, a wonderful interview right. by
2: you, Green Shay. Good job.
0: Oh, it was fun and I I got to have Jimmy along with me and uh and, and I think what really helped the interview is that you weren't there. Yeah, I
2: I derail those interviews.
0: (laughs) (laughs) and I know that's not true because I've already got to hear some of your interview, which is coming up with Pinar Toprak. You're close, Pinar. Well, you would know you talk to her. Uh, Yeah, and
2: so, uh, you know, there's this really big show starting. It's a DC Universe original. It starts on May 18th. Don't forget that. But if you do forget that,
0: remember May 19th
2: because it's yeah. also going to wait till May 19th,
0: off. and then you're <laughs> you got you got all the time in the world then.
2: Yeah, this is the Arrow versus newest edition, which is DC's Stargirl. Uh, you guys have already heard a lot about it. We are super excited about this. And as we've said numerous times, one of the perks of being a show host is that we sometimes get sneak peeks and previews. And we've already seen a screener of this particular pilot. We're not going to spoil anything, but all we're going to tell you is it's really good. It's it's fun. It's witty. Um, and it really does
0: And focus... if you think this show is running long, just imagine if we got to talk to everyone involved like they are <laughs> laying out seasons worth of stuff with all the characters that are in this
2: yeah and they um there's so much thought that that goes into this a lot of you guys have actually already seen a sneak peek of star girl if you happen to see the crisis on infinite earths back in uh december and because wouldn't have well, right, because uh, at the at, in the um, epilogue, after everything was resolved and all the Earths kind of settled into their own universes, um, Earth Two showed the cast, including Yvette Monreal, was in that shot, um, and it was a preview of Stargirl. So they they already so you guys have already seen these characters in the Arrowverse, even though it was very brief. Um, And here we are about, we're celebrating the season premiere, the series premiere, May 18th and May 19th. Talking to the two stars from the show, that wasn't quite enough. So we decided that we still needed to, we needed to hear the sound of Stargirl. And since going way back to the beginning of this Saturday morning serial show, one of our first guests was the composer for the Arrowverse. Jimmy, pop quiz. Are you listening?
1: Yes, Hotshot.
0: Who is the composer of the Arrowverse? Shoot the composer. That's always the answer. But go ahead and try and answer first. He
1: is the composer. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't want to disrespect him. I don't remember his name. I know we talked about him. Uh, But help me out. Yeah.
2: Blake Neely. Blake Neely, everybody. Blake Neely was the composer of every single show in the Arrowverse.
0: And he's not for this one. This is the (laughs) first one. uh, And we are talking about a large number of shows.
2: Yeah, he, he does Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow. I'm forgetting some, I'm sure, because there's so many. However, he's silly. the John
0: Williams of the CW Arrowverse. Correct. I don't even and need to say CW. John Williams of the Arrowverse.
2: And he, he has a very particular sound. You know, like it sounds like people flying and fighting all the time. Like
3: he is so good,
2: (laughs) he is so good at that music. But I think that when you start to bring in a younger group of superheroes that have teenage drama and angst and oh, you know all of that that goes into being in high school, you gotta find a new sound. You gotta bring in different types of music, and they. They had to they had to really dig into their pocketbooks because as we mentioned before, Pinar was the composer of Captain Marvel. That was that was one of her first cred as far as
0: uh stepping into the superhero world. Uh, feature but film, superhero, blockbuster. Yeah, mega blockbuster. One of the top three films of the year globally. You mean? Yeah. Not absolutely. bad, Pinar. Not bad. I
2: think it's a billion-dollar film, and she literally wrote the theme music for Captain Marvel. So whenever you hear Captain Marvel, that little jingle, that's Pinar. And she's. And you also- owe her 13 cents. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's responsible for... The music that was on the short-lived Krypton series that was on sci-fi, I believe, is where that was. And as we've come to learn, she also did a little work for Walt Disney World. You guys are going to hear a little bit about that. Um, and she actually did a little work on a little game called Fortnite. Does anybody play that game? Because uh, Pinar is probably um, playing right now in everybody's living room.
0: So anyway... <laughs> That. <laughs> that is that is crazy to think about, like, per hour, across the globe, what is maybe the most played music? Fortnite background music. No one yeah. would think of it, but it's probably true and sad. So would, anyway, would, she sounds fascinating. I wish we had a chance to talk to her. Well, but s- since we... What's point that? Out
1: that? Yeah, I kind of wanted to point out
0: that you might not be
1: aware that you've heard her music. Yeah, exactly. You heard it, you've heard it, but you just don't know it
0: was her. Yes. Exactly. She's one exactly. of the uh, invisible red hands in your life, influencing you, changing your soundtrack.
1: Yeah, Steering your destiny. There it
2: is. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. So I don't know why we're beating around the bush. We talk all about this. We talk about Stargirl. We talk about everything music little bit of John Williams jumps into this conversation.
0: Uh, Grim, can you st- start up that magic interview machine? Yeah, I think I can do that. All right. Uh, hey, magic interview machine, come here for a second. Do me one solid. Just give us Mark's interview with Binar brack okay? Cool. Thanks, man.
3: Welcome,
2: Pinar Toprak, to the Saturday Morning Serial Show. She is the composer. She's responsible for the music score behind one of the biggest Marvel movies of all time, including Captain Marvel. She's written for two DC superhero shows. She's she's written music for Fortnite. She is an impressive young talent coming onto the superhero scene. Pinar Toprak, welcome to Saturday Morning Serial.
6: Hello. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Did I get that bio kind of right? Did I nail it?
6: Yeah, that was great. I almost found it semi-important. That was great. Thank you. I especially (laughs) like the young part.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Jimmy has a couple of questions for you. He has been just ranting and raving about this opportunity to talk to you. And so, Jimmy, take it away.
1: Okay, Pinar, uh, thanks again for taking some time. I know you wrote the music for... uh, Walt Disney World's Epcot Center. What's that like to be a, a part of such an iconic franchise?
6: Honestly, it's truly one of the biggest honors of my life. Um, it also has a very personal uh, meaning to me. When I first moved here uh, in 90, 1997 from Istanbul, my brother, who was living in the Midwest, um, he uh, he surprised me with a vacation to Disney World. So as a you know, this teenager who hadn't traveled anywhere else in the world from, I remember, I I liked all the rides at Disney world. That was all fun and games, but the Epcot center, when I went in my 17 year old brain to be able to, to experience all these different parts of the world, I really felt like I was traveling to all these places and Mm -hmm. um, it had a very special place in my heart. All these years, I kept telling everybody how much I loved Epcot. So, when I was asked to, to write the theme uh, it was it was magical it was amazing and last August during uh, d23 uh, I performed it that was kind of our you know, unveiling of uh, what was going to happen at Epcot and including the new theme and we had live musicians on stage I performed we had choir and everything and it was it was a magical experience and um, to know that so you know films and they, they, they're all they all have different space and place in my heart. Um but this, this is this is a bit different, you know, uh, the whole theme park experience and to know that once hopefully the world goes back to normal and we start experiencing these things again. Um to know that you're kind of part of history that way. It's it's uh amazing.
1: Yeah, that's that's a pretty big mark on the world, yeah.
6: Um
3: <laughs>
1: and and then also um so Mark and I were talking right before you called that I'm sure 100% of our listeners have heard some of your music somewhere and also maybe they're not aware I just found this out myself you wrote the music for Fortnite
6: Yes the first that's, uh, um, yeah yeah
1: <laughs> again reaching millions and millions of ears well, that's also got to be a pretty uh a, a pretty big feather in your cap I would say um Absolutely. as far as as far as reaching as many ears uh, as possible. Can you, how did, uh, how did Epic Games approach you for it? Um, how did you get that job?
6: Um, honestly, this is, it's, it's not a really, um, you know, magnificent story. I just got a call from my agent. <laughs> it was kind of, um,
3: <laughs> okay.
6: It was, a, it was just a call. Um, and at the time, Fortnite wasn't you know really fully released we didn't really know right um you know the kind of impact it was going to have so i actually even thought that my agent misspelled because he texted me first and i thought he misspelled Fortnite. (laughs) um i was like oh that's cute he misspelled it and then um you know, we started working and I loved everybody. I still have actually really good, good friends with, with, with all those guys. And um, we just we become a team and it was a really collaborative, fantastic process. And to see the success that it has had, it's been surreal to be honest, because maybe they knew, I'm sure Epic Games had some idea of what was <laughs> how big this was going to get. I, Mm-hmm. usually when I work on a project, I have no idea how popular it's going to be. I'm just kind of like, I have no idea. I'm in my world. I write the music and then you release it out there in the world. And then people respond to it the way they do like, wow, that's pretty cool. I,
3: <laughs> You know,
6: uh, it's an mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. feeling to know that it became the success that it has, has become. Um, and I'm finally cool um, amongst you know my nephews and whatnot. So that's great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you also did um on the big screen Captain Marvel, you wrote the the soundtrack for that movie as well right and, yeah t- uh, um,
2: just to talk ahead. about a ahead, a man. moment that's that's gonna change your life, tell us about when you got the call to do Captain Marvel, and was it a similar situation where you were just unaware of this potential, or did this hit you a little bit harder?
6: Well, this was a different process with Captain Marvel. I knew from a lot before when I, uh, I I knew that they were making this this film um it, I knew when it was in development basically and it's been kind of a, a dream of mine but I didn't even think that I would you know, even get a shot at it um and finally I was actually given the opportunity to demo which I thought is enough. I didn't even think I was going to get the, get the job, but I thought, hey, if, I, if I'm demoing, at least they're going to listen and they're going to be aware of my existence. So in the future, you know, hopefully they can hire me. Um, so I, I just wanted to make the biggest impact that I possibly could. And um, I hired a 70-piece orchestra. And uh, hired this EPK crew, this video crew that came in and uh, and shot it, you know, while I was conducting because I just wanted them to get a sense of, you know, who I am. And um, I also did this other video in my studio where I talked to the camera like a, like an actor's self audition tape kind of thing, where I was talking about what Captain Marvel meant to me and how I approached the theme and all of those things. Um, and then I sent it off. And as soon as I sent it off. Um, I thought that i have done the best that I could with you know, what I knew about the film, which, which I actually went through like a month-long security clearance with Marvel uh, to read the script at Marvel Studios, and, you know, <laughs> insane, insane security that you go through. Um, but as soon as I sent the demo off, it, I kind of had this like, okay, you know, the, the rest is not up to me. And I almost let it go. That's just how I work when I'm demoing for something. And then fast forward a little bit, uh, a couple of weeks or so, and then um, I got a call from um, Dave Jordan, who's the music supervisor for for all Marvel songs. And he is the the incredible human being that gave me the opportunity, that opened the doors for me to be able to demo for this song. He, I'm forever grateful. So he called me personally and um I literally when he when he told me I got it I literally lost the feeling in my oh. legs and I I just dropped <laughs> down on the floor it was like a movie moment I can't even explain it I just like I just collapsed on the floor and in, a, in, a, in a good way, not like I passed out, but I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it actually worked, <laughs> you know, um, and it was pretty surreal. And then it was like winning the lottery and not being able to tell anybody for weeks. So that was <laughs> difficult because I couldn't tell, they couldn't <laughs> say, you know, so that was, that was pretty amazing.
2: I am so happy so, for that moment for you. By by the way, I am thank, just like thank you. I am like shivering right now. I'm just really happy for you and to be able to experience that. I think it's a huge deal.
6: Thank you. Thank you.
1: That's only three of the projects that you worked on that we talked about so far, and those are t- three pretty, I would arguably uh, home runs in the industry in, in each two kind of separate industries, right?
6: Thank you. <clears throat>
1: Before we get to Stargirl, I want to talk about a little bit about your process of writing the music. Like, um, where do you think you do your best composing?
6: Oh, um, it all it ultimately happens in my studio. I have a studio at my house, and everything get everything gets done here in terms of the composition side of things. But sometimes coming up with ideas. Um, they don't happen here Uh, because I I stress myself out too much. Like for example, with, with Captain Marvel theme, it was, it was a big thing and I had to kind of crack that cold before I started doing anything else. And I remember being in the studio and being completely overwhelmed by the responsibility of coming up a theme for this, um, this new character for Marvel movies. Right. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't an established Mm -hmm. theme for her. So uh, and it was, you know, at that point it was announced that I was going to score the film. So I was getting emails and messages from people and I would see it online, which nobody should Google themselves, but I did. Right. because I was curious and everybody <laughs> started, you know, this, this theme better be good. It has to be iconic. It has, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> there are really mm-hmm. so many notes. Um, so I completely psyched myself out in the studio for a while and I just went out for a walk. Um, and during the walk, I started humming to myself like a crazy person and um, I finally came up with this theme and something about it felt genuine and right to me, uh, whereas the other ones I just kind of dismissed and I recorded it on my voice memo on my phone and I still have it. And that is the Captain Marvel theme. So sometimes things start outside the studio, but ultimately it all gets written in the studio.
1: I was watching uh, Psycho the other day, and I always kind of refer to this movie as an example that, uh, you know, Bernard Herrmann uh, composed that based on the black and white uh, of the movie. Uh, That's why there's the high pitches and the low pitches. So I kind of want to ask you, how do you use color to inform your composition of your music?
6: Great question. I mean, color can be achieved by, you know, by a lot of things and depending on, the kind of score that we're working on um, the orchestra can provide so many of those colors uh, but then we also have you know in the case of Captain Marvel for example and definitely Stargirl as well um, once you start the start introducing the world of um, electronic music so anything you know that's hybrid you have unlimited mm-hmm. colors you know is it just to be able to fuse the orchestra and that's already limitless in its in itself. Um, so it, it really depends on the project what color needs to be used where, and that's usually my first process. I write a suite of ideas um, for Captain Marvel. I did that. I had three suites, actually. I wrote one for um, Captain Marvel slash Carol Danvers, kind of, you know, the, the overall tone, uh, and then I wrote another suite for scrolls and another suite for uh, The Cree. And because I wanted to hone in on their sound first. And that's where I play with the different, you know, both thematic ideas and also just the sound palette. You know, what kind of world are we living in? What kind of colors are we living in? And, um, you know, like like I said, it can be orchestral or very electronic or or both.
1: And so you mentioned when you're creating a character's theme song or their melody or their cue, because you also got Stargirl, you've got a lot of heroes on there, and you mentioned the Kree and everybody else. Do you focus on, like you mentioned, the color? Is there a specific aspect of the character that you might focus on to inform that that music or that piece?
6: Absolutely. Um, and you look at the, the arc of the, the character as well. Um, like in the case of Captain Marvel, you know, we know that there's, you know, what we think are the bad guys and the good guys, they, they change, right, throughout the course of the film. So um, to be able to find a theme or a mood that can carry you through that that evolution, so through that, that art, um, that's very important. In the case of Carol Danvers, for me, I really wanted to find a theme that's, that does go higher, further, faster, right? Uh, but also mm-hmm. has this, um, you know, you, I wanted you to be able to feel the power and strength, but also the vulnerability and the humanity in her character. Because as when I first read the script and, you know, as the film came to life through production, all the cuts that I started seeing, I really felt like ultimately her power comes from the humanity of, of herself, you know, it's just that her humanity is able to use these, uh, these powers to, to their full extent. But I wanted to make sure that we're not just, it's not just the strength and the power. It's the combination of the human, human side of her. And she's a hybrid after all. So how, how mm-hmm. could I get mm-hmm. that across in music? So that was the main thing.
1: Um, what about, do you have, uh, uh, favorite composer or that's influenced your work?
6: Um, I have some ones that don't change ever. And then depending on the day, I have additions to that list. Um, the ones that are that have been timeless for me, um, film composers-wise, it's uh, John Williams, Ennio Morricone, mm-hmm. um, John Barry, Jerry Goldsmith. Um, John Williams wrote... The score that made me fall in love with film music and this particular genre that I happen to be doing a lot of lately, which is wonderful, uh, Superman. The 78th first Superman, the Donner Superman movie, made me fall Amen. in love with with film music, and um, so it always is a very special place in my heart. A lot of the themes that I have loved, um, John, John Williams wrote them, and Ennio Morricone, but one of my most favorite. Film scores of all time, which is the cinema parody. So um, it it varies. I mean, you know, today there are so many composers that that influenced me, and we are living in a pretty fortunate time that, you know, there are just so many different kinds of projects and so many different kinds of sounds and creativity. So it's it's pretty exciting.
2: I have a little bit of music that I pumped into our sound machine here. I'm going to play it a little bit here. Just a second. Mm -hmm. And. Uh if you guys can figure this out, this is the Krypton main theme from the show Krypton. It's uh, unfortunately no longer on TV, but you should find it. I think it's an amazing show. Am I I hear John Williams in this song. And I, I don't know if you did that subconsciously or you you kind of meant to do it. To me, this song sounds like it's super like this music just can't seem to fly yet. It can't seem to get you know, it's always trying to get off the ground. And I think that's a metaphor for the show itself. Can you yeah. talk us a little bit through how you came up with this particular theme?
6: Um, that's actually very true. Um, there was something about when I, when I watched the show, for one thing, having been a Superman fan, uh, to get to work on Krypton, this was incredible. Um, I wanted the theme to to reflect. You know, I didn't want it to sound very earthy, uh, because you know, with Superman we're telling a superhero story on Earth, uh, but with Krypton we're trying to, um, to kind of you know to, to showcase how Kryptonians lived on Krypton. Um, so that feeling of hope, but that's always a little bit. Um, it's definitely on the darker side. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not very uplifting. It's trying, it's like you said, it's trying to m- make their world a better place. Um, yeah. but it's also just mixed in with, with a lot of other, other complications. So, I uh, wanted to capture that feeling, if that makes any sense.
2: Oh, I just, I just, I was just a huge, huge fan of that show. And, that theme really really stuck out. Uh as much as I tried to enjoy the music from you know uh the Batman vs Superman franchise, the Snyder Superman, and there's a lot to like about those themes. Um Superman to me just cannot fly unless I hear that John Williams music. It's it's the most important thing to that to that movie working as anything else is that John Williams score. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
6: absolutely. Yeah, and on Krypton, I'm... we got a chance. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Excuse uh, me. Uh, I was just saying that we, we actually had a chance um, to use this, the Superman theme uh, on Krypton a, a few times. Um, so that was also pretty wonderful that, that, that I could actually integrate that theme into something that I was writing. It was crazy.
1: We're talking about your favorite composers. Does does uh. Not necessarily your favorite, but does Blake Neely fall on that list
5: anywhere?
6: He's wonderful, and mm-hmm. he's a friend. It's funny, just on my on my Facebook, uh, a memory popped up from two years ago. We were on a panel at Newport Beach uh, Film Festival together two years ago today. So uh, <laughs> he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful composer, wonderful human being, and he's definitely um, been very, very successful in this whole D.C. world. So.
1: Are you uh, taking over for him, or is this kind of your offshoot of that universe of the Arrowverse?
6: No, I'm not taking over for anybody. He's 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 very successful. He's got a lot of things going on, and there's enough shows to go around, I think, for a lot of people. So I'm I'm very blessed that, that I have <laughs> That's true. my chances. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, and just so that every everybody's clear, just to back this up, just a little bit, uh, Star Girl is the brand new CW show. That's going to be starting in May 19th, I think, is the date. And uh, Pinar is leading the uh, musical score for this. And you're actually jumping into Blake Neely's uh, Arrowverse, right? Because he pretty much scored all the other shows. He did um, Arrow. He did uh, The Flash. He did Supergirl. He did The Legends of Tomorrow. And this is the first time, as far as I could tell, That we have a CW teenage superhero. The impression of the trailer, and having watched the uh, first episode, the music here sounds like it's a little bit more teenage uh, movie, like on you know, it's a little bit more uh, juvenile, you know, like in a fun way, like like in a poppy kind of way. Take us through the direction that that you are given with these three very different superheroes, you know, going back to Captain Marvel and then thinking about Krypton and now getting into Stargirl, which is the first teenage superhero. Tell us yeah. about that direction and how it falls to, to what we heard there. Yeah, uh,
6: the, the, the score actually is, is quite um, – it's a very – I would call it, I mean, of course, we've had some, you know, for the high school scenes and things, and there are things that we do um, to serve serve the scene. But in terms of the whole arc of the show, the score, um, just like the show itself, is, is very, very cinematic, actually. Um, and we've had a live orchestra for every episode of the show, which is very unusual for TV shows. Um the the score itself is is very. Um, when we talked about Jeff and I, Jeff Johns is the the, the creator, showrunner, um, and just extraordinary human being. Um, he, when he we first talked about the tone, we referred to like Back to the Future kind of sound, um, that um, very traditional. Um, of course, you've definitely had a lot of hybrid elements for, for different characters that were introduced throughout the show. Um, so, and there are some, you know, great songs and things, and of course to capture, um, you know, that, that that high school kind of energy and that, that age group. That's absolutely right. But then, you know, once we go into actual fight scenes and um, also a lot of the intimate, emotional, dramatic scenes, it's it's quite, it's uh, it's very film like. Um, and, and the sound, and it definitely grows bigger and bigger. And you know, the, the CGI work is fantastic on the show. It definitely mm-hmm. looks like a film.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, so we wanted to make sure that it, it sounds um, as good as it looks. So it, it gets pretty epic.
5: Mm, yes, absolutely. It's pretty. Yeah. It's
1: yeah. It's it's really big, and there. Uh, I, I when I watch it, I was commenting how much money that you see on the screen. Uh, especially in the yeah. first uh, <laughs> uh, ten or fifteen minutes, that opening, uh, that cold open is that's that really grabs you. I think for me at least, um, it's
6: a really great opening, isn't it? I was I was so amazed. I was mesmerized watching that opening. It's crazy.
1: What about the difference you were talking about um, the theme for Captain Marvel? What are what would be the differences between coming up with a the theme for Stargirl as as they're obviously Characters that come come into their powers as the story progresses, mm-hmm. but they're of right. different ages and different uh, backgrounds. Can you talk a little bit about that that approach?
6: Yeah, um, just really like my work on Captain Marvel, and um, you know there there are certain um, things that that I found some similarity in in terms of how. Um, Basically, are these human superheroes, right? So you know that again, that humanity and uh, and lightness and um, the the flight aspect of it, but the playfulness and you know with how she works with the you know with the staff and with the cosmic staff, mm-hmm. all of it was it needed to be obviously very powerful and strong and uplifting. I think that's really I wanted to make sure that her theme feels very. Hopeful and powerful, uh, yeah. uh, but also can mm-hmm. get playful too.
1: <clears throat> yeah, very light. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about too. Do you have so um, so some minor spoilers? If you haven't seen the show, if you're listening, you haven't seen the show yet, or the pilot, or wherever you're at when you hear this. Um, there's a there's a, a gaggle of villains that Star Girl's and her friends in the Justice uh, Society are gonna face off again. So I'm wondering is there if you have a do you have a musical cue for the I believe are they called the Legion of Doom or whatever the bad guy's name is a fraud stroke? Or do you have more of a Neil Hefty approach where each individual bad guy has his own sting or musical cue?
6: Each each bad guy pretty much and girl uh has their <laughs> own um own theme. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty thematic show. And, and sometimes the themes are more, uh, it can be a certain sound, a certain color. And you know, that, that, mm-hmm. that, you know, character. And I've, I've done similar things like on Krypton for Brainiac. Um, it wasn't a theme you could ever sing, but it was, you know, it was a, a combination of a whole bunch of sounds that I, I had made, um, that as soon as you heard that, you just kind of like feel it in your gut and you're feeling a little like, uh, ah, Brainiac. <laughs> So there are a lot of things for different characters, and villains are really fun to write for because there's just no limits on how you know crazy you can get and dark. And dark is pretty fun to write.
0: What is that like Joe Strummers and the Clash's serial? <laughs> well, I should have played that
2: after Yvette's interview. <laughs>
0: <Because> <laughs> you be 40
2: and stealing enough of me. <laughs> so uh yeah we just heard from pinar Toprak, and that was a lot of fun to do jimmy did get a chance to join me for that even though he's not getting any credit for the interviews that he's done today
0: um, which by the way I, are
2: all of them yeah all of them jimmy was a part of all
0: of them i, I and, would say the uh, intern from uh retro cool nerd had a pretty good show today
2: <laughs> yeah he did a good job he put don't a lot laugh of
0: kid shut up
1: <laughs> yeah so uh, i'm
0: Jim, sorry
1: Shade. that was uh two sugars no cream
0: no i've changed my mind now i want a chocolate rice crispy donut <laughs> oh god that sounds delicious
2: hey. mm. let's make that happen and trademark free
0: smart yeah. move so jimmy what do you think about this show that you put together <laughs> yeah. Now that we're at the end, we've decided to give you all the credit in turn. Sure, just let me uh get out from under this bus. Anyway, no, I,
1: I think it was great. There was a lot of I I you uh where do I start? We mentioned that we've all watched the pilot episode and I loved it. I think the first, especially the first 10 minutes, uh that opening fight scene really is going to set the stage for this show uh and and the action I think is really compelling. It's going to bring me back. Music that uh, we heard from Pinar Toprek that she wrote, I think, is really great. Again, that first the score of the first ten minutes of that fight scene is, I think, is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, how she talked about, I after she pointed it out, I went back and watched it again, and I definitely heard those Back to the Future notes that she was talking about. And uh, I feel pretty it's lucky. It's a classic eighties to... setup, man. You were yeah, just yeah. And uh, I feel pretty lucky to have talked to Yvette. And uh, Dan, you, you, I, you I
0: actually got to uh, park with joy we A- did together, Jimmy.
2: That is true. And that is true. And when you're talking about that first interview, I get the feeling that that you are talking with like our next big star, right? I mean, she's got
0: the talent. She's got the looks, she's got the enthusiasm. And most importantly, Jimmy has her Skype name.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're not giving that away. That's awesome.
0: That was amazing. And for the record, the first Skype interview ever done. Man, the balls on this kid, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm just raising the tide, boys. Raising the tide. Raising all the ships.
1: Raising all the ships. But let's not forget to point out that we kid. We should. Everybody should take a moment. Either this Monday, the this coming Monday, the 18th, or Tuesday, the. Uh, Nineteenth, and check out Stargirl on yep. CW and DC Universe, respectively. The CD Universe one, C DC, sorry, CD so, CDC Universe. Sorry, I guess oh, I don't know why God. that's. I don't you, know why that's. You still around had head. to just complete it. Huh? <laughs> I'm a complete. Made <laughs> it almost through the whole
0: episode with the quarantine intimation, but here we go. But so, anyways, eight o'clock your local time, uh,
1: Tuesday. The 19th on the CW, Monday, the 18th on
0: DC Universe. It's going to be the next
1: big show.
2: Yeah. And just just in case
0: you're stuck inside these days and are unnaturally desperate for new entertainment, this is coming along the pipeline. Uh, It's not one of those ones you can stream every single episode in one day while you eat ice cream and and potato chips. So you should kind of be thankful for that, I think.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we've been binging so much. Why not? Let's all get back to communal viewing, right? As soon as something drops, let's watch it together. Relatively speaking, we have something to talk about that week.
0: Yeah. It's a nice thing. For one, I'll just come out and admit it. I consumed about 1,200 Ozark calories today.
3: (laughs) It's not healthy.
0: Yeah.
2: I've been watching a lot of Westworld, and that's some serious stuff. So I'm dying for a little levity. I can't wait for Stargirl to come out. Oh yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I need a I need a break. But uh if that if all of this amazing talent and entertainment wasn't enough and a uh, witty conversation, thank you, Grim. <laughs> thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Don't we actually the witty
1: conversation.
2: Um I actually wanna and I wanna thank Joy Osmanski for joining us. I wanna thank again Yvette Monreal. And I want to thank Pinar Toprak. You guys were more than generous with your time. We look forward to your careers. You guys are, you guys are the future. We know that. But I also want to thank. We do have a sponsor today. Um, this is Paramount. Wait, Studios. wait. We have
0: a we have a sponsor. Does that imply a sponsor, sponsor, giveaway? Skype. Skype
3: interviews and oh, sponsors. what a feeling. I know.
2: What a feeling. And here we go. Cue the music, Jimmy. Um we do have a giveaway. And just to just to get just to reinforce how important music is to the movies that we watch and the pop culture. What a feeling! The newly remastered pop culture sensation arrives on Blu ray. This is the latest film in the Paramount Presents line, and it debuts on the same day that Stargirl comes out May 19th. Um, the hit movie that Holy became a problem. Everybody,
0: just if you've got a job, don't go to it on May 19th.
2: Yeah, hang out. There's too it's, much stuff to if do. you're
1: lucky
0: to have a job these days. It's Stargirl and
2: Flashdance. Absolutely. This is the hit movie that became a pop culture sensation. Flashdance delivers an electrifying mix of music, drama, and dance that dazzles the senses as it touches the heart. Newly remastered from a 4K film transfer supervised by director Adrian Lynn. the latest entry in the Paramount Presents line will arrive on Blu-ray. Like I said... May 19th of 2020. Designed for fans and film lovers, the new line Paramount presents Blu-ray discs include a diverse and electric array of films spanning all genres presented in collectible packaging that includes a fold-out image and interior artwork of key movie moments. The Flashdance Blu-ray also includes a new filmmaker focus with director Adrian Lin, as well as previously released featurettes on the look of the film and the phenomenon that it became, I grew up in this era, and this was indeed a phenomenon. The videos, the MTV, the time that this movie took, it was amazing. Jennifer just,
0: Beals, uh, just speaking for myself, and I feel like I'm speaking at least for anyone else who was born between 1975 and 1979. Come on. Flash dance. That Jessica was the Beals- spark of puberty, right? You guys oh remember gosh. that, right? Yes, if you're a little older, that. maybe it was uh uh what's her name getting out of the pool. Phoebe Cates? Yeah, but but for me <laughs>
2: well, continue. Let's give Grim Shea a moment. Jessica, I'm sorry, Jennifer Beals stars as Alex, a fiercely determined 18-year-old with <laughs> one all-consuming dream to study at the Pittsburgh Conservatory of Dance, working during the day as a welder and at night, as an exotic dancer, ooh, this is where it gets a little crazy. Alex what? bravely pursues. Alex bravely pursues her dream, undertaking an unforgivable journey that reveals the power of her convictions. And it features the Oscar-winning song "Flashdance." What a feeling! Jimmy, cue the music. Uh, you guys, this movie right here. Th- it, this highlights what music can do.
1: Yes, sure. it was. I don't want to overlook that marvelous copy read, Mark. I mean, that was that was a fine piece of work. Wait, uh-huh. wait, and,
0: and maybe, Marky, was that copy read? That was very much copy you read. Promise me.
3: <laughs>
1: All these improv classes, and you're going to read copy like that?
3: <laughs>
1: well, and just so that. Uh,
2: my charm doesn't go sour on any, on, on anybody. Um, I am holding in my hand a screener copy, a pre, uh, a preview copy, of this wonderful Blu-ray digitally remastered pop culture sensation, um, and I am giving it away. So the code word is Flashdance, and I'm going to be uh, follow me at SDCC. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Stay Classy, at Stay Classy SDCC, and um, when we're promoting this episode, I am going to be offering this wonderful Blu-ray, and you have to know the password. So if you, repl- if you uh, follow me, Uh, Tweet at me with the password Flashdance, and I will send you a copy of Flashdance.
0: That's right. If you are old and sexual enough to recognize Flashdance, and you're still into teen superhero shows... This isn't an FBI trap, I promise. This
2: is, you're going to be surprised at the <laughs> this, crossover putting out of this episode far. for profiling purposes. My God, you guys, thank you so much for this episode. This was a lot of fun. This, this really was,
0: was. Yeah. Uh, is and this? I only hope everybody out there has as much fun watching uh, Stargirl... Come what? May 18th on the CW, May 19th on DC Universe, and probably the next day, goddamn everywhere.
2: Everywhere. Everywhere a computer is. It's going to
0: get you. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you.
2: Uh, what do you say?
0: Well, I was going to say something else, but quite honestly, I'd say that's about enough of this. I think this is where the guy says it. Isn't that the part? <laughs> That's <laughs>
3: yeah, enough of this. <laughs> now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G-I-T-O- oh, this is enough of this.